The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded. It's Patrick Bexel here and today I'm hosting two other guys in this near-earth orbit as we are uh, still social distancing a little bit. We're doing this over Skype so there might be some problems. But first and foremost, it's been a long time uh, since I had you joining us on the pod. Andrew Sadanowski of, yeah, what? Twitter fame? TSN fame? What are you not famous for, Andrew? What am I not famous for? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm famous at pretty much everything I do. So, hi. How you doing? Well, we're doing fine. Thank you very much. And as always, when it's from Europe, Anton is here. And uh, he's uh, super excited because he's going to Cardiff tomorrow. It's the nice. first, uh, first time in a little over two months that I actually get to leave the city of Newport. I've just been inside here for two months and it's been fine. But uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to just see another city, uh, see something else. Indeed, and we're stuck uh, in, what should we say? Like, we're stuck in the 20s still, uh, which is a good place to be stuck in. I mean, like, it was before the Great Depression and everything was going well after the war and everything. But uh, right now, in the top 25, under 25, we got two guys to talk about. It's uh, first and foremost... Michael McNiven, um, a goalkeeper that, with the goalkeeper pool that Montreal has, we're not really sure what to do with. Yeah, Montreal's got a very interesting situation right now where they have a deep goaltending pool. Uh, You know, we know that Price and Jake Allen will be one and two in Montreal. And based on what uh, Stefan Waite said in his uh, online press conference, we know that Caden Primo and Charlie Lindgren are going to be uh, one and two in Laval. Uh, and that's where Michael McNiven comes into play. Um, he is, uh, as, as Stefan Waite called him, the perfect goaltender to straddle between the ECHL and the AHL. In other words, you know, a fifth goalie in the, in the prospect pool. Uh, we saw him play last year. He got bounced around a lot between ECHL teams because Montreal does not have an affiliate. Uh, and he did very well in the ECHL. He's probably uh, a top 10 goaltender for the ECHL. But at 23 years old, um, I think, you know, his his upward potential is, is limited at this point for several factors. One is, like we just discussed, the goaltender depth in the Montreal organization. There really isn't much opportunity for him to move too much, for, too far up, uh, unless there's a whole series of injuries. Um, you know, he'll be the first call up to Laval, should there be an injury in Laval or a call up to Montreal. But, uh, you know, at 23 years old, his development curve is is pretty much starting to peak at this point. Uh, and he's a decent enough goaltender for the AHL. Uh, but you know, I ranked him where I ranked him just because he's 
he's he's he's he is definitely a professional goaltender. He he'll be a good hand to have, but there isn't much more upward momentum for him. Yeah, uh, I ranked him the lowest out of all the staff. I had him at 32 because I feel that well, the bells are ringing for Michael McNiven. Um, as you say, he's probably the fifth goaltender. He could even be the sixth goaltender if they keep Lindgren and Vasily Dimchenko um, plays up to his standard. I mean, he is. Yeah. I, I would still have a KHL starter goaltender ahead of an ECHL uh, fringe AHL guy at this point where we haven't seen them face off against each other. Um, and also, yeah, as you said, he, he was good in the ECHL, but... It was really those four games in Adirondack Thunder where he was impressive. When he played in Jacksonville and Norfolk, it was more pedestrian, especially Norfolk, where he had a 0.889 saving save percentage. Even if they were a bottom-tier team, it's still you kind of want to see something more from him at this point when he is 22, now he's 23. And as I said in a comment here on, on the article as well, He's actually one of the oldest guys on the uh, on the list this year uh, because it's such a young prospect pool on the top 25 under 25. So I'd rather see, um, well, there are a lot of prospects that I would um, prefer the Canadians to keep ahead of him. So that was why I ranked him so low. It's interesting that you mentioned, I saw there was some comments about do you rank them based on... Uh, closeness to the NHL or value for the organization and I'll be honest I haven't I haven't read what Justin uh, written, wrote up for before the before the rankings this year and if it's changed or anything but I do what I always do and I know we all do that a little bit differently which I think is really really good in a way because it it gives you even more depth to the rankings because we all analyze uh, analyze it in different ways I rank them Closeness to the NHL, even if they're on, like like a player like Lucas Vedemo, who's on the way out, and one of the older guys, but still he is on that borderline uh, NHL player, uh, and has probably more value for the organization this upcoming year than maybe some of the others that potentially has very high ceilings and and can get into the NHL maybe in three four years time. Uh, I'm not always, of course I take into the account the, the potential of a player as well. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, even if I rank McNiven at number 18, he is on the way down and, and he is on the way out. Uh, as, as you mentioned, he is a professional goalkeeper, Andrew, and I think he will still be that. The question is, is he prepared to do a Justin Pogge, go to, to Italy for a year and build up his European translation and, and transition in order to then become a, a, a stable European goaltender, uh, or will he uh, stay in North America and, and see what happens over there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he's aware of of limited upward momentum in the Montreal organization. And when, you know, once you reach 23, 24 years old, and you kind of you know you're you're maybe you know a starter in the CHL. Uh, and that's kind of where they would want to keep you. That's when you start kind of looking around to see who offers the best contract. And I think, you know, it's kind of like Charles Houdon did. He, he took, you know, a better contract in Europe than, you know, kind of languish in the AHL level. Uh, I think Michael McNiven might potentially kind of be in that situation by by next year as well, where he's just kind of looking around to see, okay, where am I? Do I have a shot at making it the NHL? If he thinks he does and all the power to him, if he does, 
um, you know, keep kind of plugging away at the AHL level in a different organization. But should, you know, essentially if your options are limited and, and or you're only getting offers for ECHL contracts, let's say in a year's time, um, you know, then obviously looking towards Europe for for maximizing the, the value you get in your contract. Uh, definitely an option for him. And I think he'd do well in Europe as well because he's a good goaltender and good goalies usually translate pretty well um, internationally. Yeah, I think that uh, Houdon has obviously, part, partly he has been an NHLer, uh, but he also has the, the benefit of, of the language in, in uh, Servette is that he's playing for, right? Yeah, Servette or Lausanne or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, one, one of the French uh, teams or, or Swiss French teams. So I think it makes the transition even easier into to a top league, which I think the NLA is. Uh, looking forward, uh, and um, when this is out, you're going to be reading the article, but we got Sean Farrell uh, coming up. Anton, take it away. Yeah, uh, Sean Farrell. I know that um, Scott wrote the article ahead of the draft on him because he was ranked um, as a French second rounder um, ahead of the draft. So we had a profile on him. And then he fell all the way until the late fourth round where the Canadians could snag him after already taking, um, well, selecting five players ahead of him. So he's 5'9". He's not the biggest guy. Um, he's a winger, a playmaker with great hockey sense. And uh, I remember that the news after the draft was that Cole Caulfield went out on Twitter and wrote steal when the Canadians selected him in the fourth round. Um he formed a formidable duo with the uh, first rounder uh, for Chicago, Brendan Brisson, um, in Chicago, in the Chicago Steel, uh, USHL. Uh, and he will go to Harvard next year, which will be interesting to follow. Also going, uh, to, but Har for now, also going yeah. to Harvard is, is increasing his time in the organization. We don't have, you don't have to sign him early. You get another four years, I think, similar to the, to the European players. So he has a lot of potential growth to get under his feet before he, Montreal needs to, to to take that step and see if they sign him or not. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of the uh, well, the thought process behind the, this year's draft. Uh, since Montreal have has a lot of prospects coming up, um, it's just we saw this summer when they had to make a decision on guys like Samuel Wood, um, Alan McShane and uh, and Cole Fonstad uh, to just not offer them an entry-level contract because you don't have that many roster spots left. I think the Canadians wanted to do it differently this time because of that. Just getting guys like, we have seen the development of, of, another, of another guy like Brett Stapley, um, who was a seventh rounder and then um, has just... Uh, will increase the status every year in the NCAA. Um, and hopefully Pharrell can just continue on that path. Obviously, he needs to build up and bulk up um, some strength. But the hockey sense and the IQ and the playmaking abilities are already there. So I have high hopes for Pharrell moving forward. Yeah, Montreal drafted three straight players out of uh, U.S. high schools, and that's Jack Smith, Blake Biondi, and Sean Pharrell. And as you discussed before, I think uh, I think it's a safe bet that only one of those will be signed to a contract. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that all three are, are going to be given contracts. They just kind of, you know, given the number of picks they had this year, they just kind of, you know, hedged their bets and said, hey, if we get one guy out of these three, that's great. Uh, and I think out of those three, Sean Farrell is probably the one that's 
um, in the best position presently to uh, to be the guy that gets the contract. But you know, we're, it's still very early on in his development. I ranked him, I believe, uh, around 26, 27. I don't remember exactly. Uh, 31. 31. 31. Actually, yeah. I had him at 30. Woo. Okay, so well, the way I, I and we talked about this, everyone drafts or ranks a little bit differently. My ranking philosophy was um, I, I broke it down into several categories. One is, you know, what is their skill set? Uh, secondly, is what have they accomplished? Third is, you know, how much hype is there behind him? And obviously, having Cole Caulfield, uh, you know, shout out Steele, added to that hype factor. But uh, also, my fam- familiarity with the player as well was taken into account. And, and I'll be, you know, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't follow U.S. high school hockey that much. Like, I, you don't, yeah, Andrew? I, Come on! Can you believe that? I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> I only have limited hours in the day. But and so I think the fam- familiarity of the player, the lack of rather. Uh, impacted my ranking of him. But, you know, as we go, and, you know, the example of a Jake Evans or uh, Brett Stapley, as they go um, year after year and they develop year after year, you kind of get a better sense of, you know, how they're positioning themselves within the team. Is the team putting more faith in them? Are they doing more, getting more ice time? Are they putting up more points? And as we're going to go year over year, you may see these players rise and or fall. You know, we've seen players go both ways. So I'm quite happy with my with my ranking for now, uh, and we'll see how things progress over the year. Well, at least he can't fall that much further, Andrew. So, you, so, so, you know, you, you, we, we hope he raises your ranking next year. Uh, we, have to, we have to add that as well, that he was actually not playing high school hockey, but he was playing in the United States Hockey League. So it was a, sli- a step up on that ranking. Um, so there is, uh, there is at least, I mean, 56 points in 44 games in the USHL is is more impressive than putting up three points a game in a high school league in Minnesota, uh, at least according to me. Indeed, uh, I, yeah. I, I tend to agree. Um, there, there is, you know, there is the hype here with Cole Caulfield, and obviously he's he's uh, coached a lot of different players through his career. Um, and I, I think sometimes for me, it makes the, the rankings a little bit different because suddenly I go like, okay, you know, I don't trust this guy that much in, in this regard. I trust him in many other ways. But but yeah, for me that that it also brings a lot of pressure, I think, you know, Cole Cowfield going out saying it's a steal. Um anyways, that there is obviously one discussion we have to have around this pick because we we know that, you know, Montreal picks the small guys. Yeah. Uh, apparently they do, but I think in this case there wasn't really an organizational. Obviously they picked a guy like Luke Tuck in the second round, and I think that Sean Farrell was ranked ahead of Luke Tuck on a lot of draft boards. Well, a, a lot of analyst draft boards at least. Um, so I don't think that there was really um, something behind this pick rather than Sean Farrell being a damn good hockey player and being well-deserved of a pick in the late fourth round. It was surprising to see him fall that far, and that also adds to the fact that Cole Caulfield said it was a steal because no one was really expecting Farrell to be there at that time. So I don't think it would be the same. If he was a second-round pick, um, no one would really be surprised, and I don't think like a guy like Caulfield wouldn't come out on Twitter and say it was a steal then because... Yeah, it was kind of expected if you went around there. Mm-hmm. And if it, but it's a, it's a, it's a reason for concern if a player drops that far back from you know you have your 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 TSN rankings and your kind of scout experts, but then you also have 
the work that professional teams put into their evaluation of players, which I'm sure is a lot more detailed than scouting listings. So if a player drops from a second round impression to a fourth round actual pick, there's definitely, you know, there's got to be a very solid reason as for why that player would fall that much. Uh, and it could be something technical that, you know, we don't see with the, with our with our eyes when we watch the games. Uh, it could be something um, personality-wise or character-wise that, that NHL teams pick up when they interview the player. Uh, it'll be interesting to see why... You know, I don't think we'll ever find out why he dropped from second to fourth, but uh, it's just a reason for you know concern, maybe potentially a red flag and uh, and an indication of his potential success. Bob McKenzie had him at 85. Um, I'm quoting from the article here. In fact, the lowest ranking of the outlets that had him ranked uh, prior to the draft was Bob McKenzie, who had him at 85. Uh, is it a concern when you fall from 85? I'm not so sure. Like. At that point, it's a crapshoot anyway, and and you go for the swing and miss, and and uh, or the the knockout punch. But I, I mean, like eighty five to one hundred twenty four, nah. is it is it big? Yeah, yeah. I I think as well that I mean, as you say, it's a crapshoot at that point, third or fourth round or whatever. If you can get any asset value out of a third or fourth or fifth round pick, then it's just great for the organization. Also, I think it's a question about it. partly the size. I mean, if you're five nine and 170 pounds, you will. I mean, you will need to be really good at other things to compensate for that. Uh, other also, I think it could be that some scouts could see that um, Sean Farrell made Brendan Brisson better, and others, most of the scouts, I think, could see that maybe Brendan Brisson made Sean Farrell look better. So it's really, if you have that kind of dynamic dynamic duo, it's more a question of who was really driving the line, who was improving who at this point. And as we saw Brendan Brisson get picked in the first round and Farrell in the fourth round, it's kind of obvious what uh, scouts thought about that. Yeah, it was obviously shooting quite high as well, 15.3%. And, and uh, as you mentioned, can he score on his own or is he dependent on a very good high quality center next to him that can set him up for those 15% uh, scoring goals percentage? Yeah, and then mainly like Farrell was the playmaker there and Brisson was the shooter. So I think that his shooting percentage, Farrell's shooting percentage will absolutely go down. But he has uh, enough hockey sense and playmaking skills that if you put him on a line with a highly skilled winger on the other side or, or like a shooting center, he could still provide value. And hopefully he will show that this season in Chicago uh, and next season at Harvard. Andrew, you got anything to, to add to this? Yeah, no, sorry. I was, I was actually on mute. Uh, um, no, I have nothing to add at this point. I mean, like I said, I'm not overly familiar with Sean Farrell. So, you know, I'm comfortable with my, my ranking of him. I also am comfortable with high positions, him uh, versus uh, Blake Biondi and, uh, and, and Jack Smith. Those are kind of the three guys I'll be kind of comparing to one another, essentially, because they seemed like it was just part of a plan to, to draft those three as part of a package. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we took the Euro honorary European to join us this time. Hopefully we get someone else to join us next time. It's a pleasure to have you on the pod. You're always so insightful, Andrew. Uh, I hope to get you back sooner rather than later. Anton, enjoy Cardiff tomorrow. Um, Friday, that is for, for you. We're recording this on Thursday because we obviously have the list in front of us. Uh, 
already and know who's number one uh, at the list and uh, who's number 10 as well, because that's also interesting. Uh, please make sure to comment in the article. Tell us what you think about the pod if you want to. We, you can reach us on Twitter. You can reach us on uh, in the comment section. And uh, even leave a, leave a uh, rating on your podcast service provider. And uh, we try to read that as well. Maybe not as often. But uh, any questions, hit us up. We'll, we'll try to answer them as good as we can. But we're not going to answer who's number one before we get to the number one spot. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Andrew. Anton, cheers, and uh, everyone, stay safe. Thank you, take care. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.